because in that moment, I thought in these difficult times, that's the fertile soil for worship is when you in faith, just simply say that God is good. And when I look back on my life, the value uh, that I see in some of the hard circumstances is that he was preparing me for the harder circumstances that might come. And so I think throughout life, as you go through difficult stuff, if you will walk through it with God and in faith, believe that he's good, you'll develop some spiritual muscle that hopefully in the end, God can look and say, wow, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzi, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. For this episode of Along the Way, I'm joined by Joshua Rogers, the author of the book, Confessions of a Happily Married Man. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. You can contact with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes. And you can check out all of my episodes at my updated website, alongtheway.media. I've organized my episodes by themes and types. There is an easy way to join my email list and find out more about me too. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me continue to put out these along the way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon, simply go to patreon.com slash along the way and select the level that you'd like to help at. The link to become a Patreon supporter is also in my show notes. This episode is sponsored by Crave Frozen Desserts, which is by far my favorite ice cream. Andy Gavain has been a friend for many years, and he seriously makes some of the best gourmet ice cream out there. All this last week, I had been feeling like something was missing, and then on Sunday, I realized what it was. I was craving some gourmet ice cream, but I was out, and Crave Frozen Desserts is closed on Sundays. I guess I will have to make a special trip out there to restock my supply. If you are in the Pittsburgh area, then you are in luck. Crave Frozen Desserts is open from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m., Monday through Saturday, and they are located at 751 Pittsburgh McKeesport Boulevard, Dravosburg, PA, 15034. I'll put a link to their Facebook page in the show notes, and tell them that you heard about them from Along the Way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes. I'm also doing one of the Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast, which is also part of the Charisma Podcast Network. And now, here's my along-the-way conversation with Joshua Rogers. Joshua Rogers, it's good to have you on Along the Way. I'm so glad that uh, Shelly Neese, who's a friend of both of ours, connected us. You reached out to me and and said, "I'd, I'd love to talk with you about what God's been doing in my life and you sent me this book, The Confessions of a Happily Married Man. I must confess as we get started, Josh, that I am not a married man, but I, that's something that I definitely want to be. Um, so you're willing to confess some things, so I'm willing to learn from your experience. And so welcome to Along the Way. Thank you. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me on. So Josh, I want to hear as we're doing this episode, I want to hear about your story and your walk with the Lord and how he's led you to where you are today. Yeah. You know, I was uh, born into a family with a couple of parents who, they got a rough start. They loved the Lord, but, you know, there was just a lot of baggage in our family. A lot of it started out, uh, you know, very early on. I was 
three years old, and two of my siblings got killed in a plane crash. They were in the Gulf of Mexico. They never found any wreckage, anything. So my dad, obviously, you know, he became hopeful and convinced they're out there somewhere. And it wasn't real. It wasn't going to happen. And I think it really broke him. And he ended up having a, a nervous breakdown. And as I grew up living with that and seeing my mom try to hold us together and hold him together, it created a just an environment where I felt a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear. And also my dad, he left five different times when I was growing up and he didn't leave for another woman. He would just go off to try to find himself. Hmm. And so these stretches of time that he was gone, it made a really big impression on me as to what what's reliable when it comes to a heavenly father and what's reliable when it comes to love and marriage and um, just life in general. So I think I developed a strong sense of insecurity that influenced a lot of my, just me as a Christian. And that really, I think, manifested itself later on in life when after wandering from God in high school, I got in college and I discovered the art of being legalistic. Mm. I mean, I, I nailed it. So there was a time period, of course, you know, I'd drink, smoke, do drugs, have sex. I mean, that's, I mean, there's that, but it was like, I also, I, I don't read secular magazines. I don't listen to secular music. I actually stopped listening to Christian music because it sounded too secular. You go over to someone's house, they're walking, watching a James Bond movie. You slip into the kitchen and start praying in tongues for those people. And somebody comes in and they're like, um, what are you doing? You're like, oh, just, just praying for everybody. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I go through this phase. Pardon, I mean, the problem with that is, you know, the legalism just breaks you after yeah. a while. So... I ended up in this journey where I had to figure out whether God loved me. And that's that's been a, a long journey, but marriage is where I really learned it. So, I mean, you grew up in a quote-unquote Christian family that had issues, but where did you first meet the Lord? I mean, with my mom and my dad. We were—I had the, the picture Bible. We were, you know— reading scripture all the time. We were singing Maranatha songs together. I mean, I had Salty the singing songbook. I, you know, we, I was just immersed in it. Um, it was just amongst all, I mean, in the midst of all that, there's also the insecurity that's swarming around us. Mm-hmm. I got to ask about this. You said that you had two siblings that died in a plane crash in the Gulf of mm-hmm. Mexico. How old were they right. and what were they heading? What was, what was going on? So they were 10 and 14. Um, they were both, my parents got married, both had children from previous marriages, okay. a boy and a girl. And so we grew up seeing them all as our full siblings. Mm-hmm. That was the story. They are your siblings. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, they were with their mother and their stepfather, and they were on their way to Venice, Florida. They were on way to, uh, on the way to the vac- uh, vacation, and their stepfather was not instrument trained. And they got out there. There was a storm, and he just flew into it. And I talked to an accident reconstruction expert one time, and he said that once he hit the storm, it would have probably been thirty seconds, and it was over. Oh my gosh! Um, just because if it was, uh, I mean, if it was a strong enough storm, you you don't know if you're going up, down, left, right. So they would have they would have been gone pretty quickly. Mm. So and, and I will say this because I was three, yeah, the death of Ronnie and Scotty just hung over our home. Mm-hmm. 
because of the way, I mean, of course, my mom, you know, she was heartbroken. These were her stepchildren, but my dad, um, he described himself as um, like uh, that passage, Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. Mm. And so I think that was the hard thing is that Ronnie and Scotty, it was just over our heads. And I, I don't know, it, I think it created in some ways, though, a positive pressure because my brother and I ended up getting all of this love. And as we later on, after my dad died, not that long ago, my brother said, I think we got everything that Ronnie and Scotty would have gotten plus dad's love for us. Hmm. Interesting. And so how old is your other brother? My brother is uh, 43. So he's two years older than me. Older than you. Okay. So you guys. And then I have the two half siblings. Okay. So you, who I've always considered whole siblings. Right, right. So growing up, though, you've always seen what it is like for a father to be heartbroken for his lost children. And I know so much of what we understand about God comes through the lens of our earthly fathers. I know you said that there's four or five different times that he went to find himself, but he was always broken up by the loss of his two children. Could you explain about your understanding of God as a father and how God has led you to where you understand about him now? You know, when you live with a dad who's not well, um, when you live with a dad who has broken mentally, um, you don't know that you're learning something about God. You don't know that the name father is taking on a new meaning for you. And I remember when I was in college one time, I was at church and my mom said, you know, Joshua, you always pray in the name of Jesus. Have you thought about saying father to God? And I didn't, so I'm in my twenties and I didn't even know I was avoiding God as a father. I think that it just has taken time and for God to shift my understanding by being reparented by other believers. Mm. And that helped me understand what it meant to be fathered by a couple of uh, great mentors and I wouldn't even call them mentors. They, they were like spiritual dads. Yeah. So how did God bring those guys into your life? And what were some of the things that they did to help you understand God as a father better? So I was in this uh, charismatic church with tons of um, like on fire. I'm, I'm talking like, oh, on fire, um, charismatic college students. And we were just crazy for Jesus. Prayer walks, like, you know, mm-hmm. t- praying in tongues, all of it. I mean, it was just, it was, we were on fire. And I was just kind of, you know, I was, my legalism was ramping up in the meantime. And I mean, people were like, oh, wow, Josh is amazing because he, you know, he's probably, you know, he's brought 150 people to church in the last year and a half, you know? So I was that guy. But um, there was this guy named Sean Cunningham and his wife, Beth, and they just brought me into their lives. I remember when Beth took my face into her hands and said, Joshua, Sean and I have been talking about you, and we want you to be a part of our lives. I didn't know them that well. She got my face in her hands. She's like teary-eyed. They're just like this totally gorgeous couple. So they brought me into their lives, and I think Sean could see behind my legalism how broken and sad I was. And he didn't try to be anything. He just... He just loved me. Um, and, and the best way I can describe it, and if there, if anybody out there wants to change somebody's life, here you go. I was talking to him one time, and I said, because, um, I mean, I, I've spent thousands of hours on the phone with that guy. And I said to him, Sean, you know, sometimes, you know, I think about it, and 
if you put our conversations on a graph, 85% of our conversation would be me talking. And he said, well, that's okay. That's part of my life calling. Mm-hmm. I said, what, to listen to people? He said, no, to listen to you. I mean, <laughs> wow. really? Me? I mean, yeah. I'm talking thousands of hours listening to me process stuff out. And what Sean was doing in being in spiritually replant, uh, reparenting me, it was he was teaching me how to pray. He was teaching me how to pour my heart out to a father figure that was far beyond him. Wow. That's really good. So how long has he been in your life now? Is he still active in your life? Oh, yeah. We talked um, a couple times, maybe three times a week. Um, oh, wow. We have known each other for 22 years. And, yeah, I, I mean, thing is, when Sean and Beth wanted to be my friend, I mean, they were just, and they loved each other so much. Like, I wondered what they had. I was afraid of marriage, but I was like, if marriage can be that, I want that. Mm. And, um you know, once they said come into our lives, they never lost me. Wow. The thing is, if somebody will love you like they loved me, you can't help but just give yourself to them. Yeah. So I want to dig in a little bit more about your legalism because that's something that it's so easy to struggle with because I know growing up in a Christian home, uh, knowing what's right and what's wrong, it's real easy to, to live by the letter of the law. When you look back, what do you see in yourself that you felt like there was a need to be legalistic? I was afraid that I was always afraid I was going to hell. I think deep down inside, I mean, I would say that I was on fire for God and there was an element of that. And I don't want to discount that because God works with anything. But deep inside, I think a lot of what motivated me was the terror that God didn't truly love me. And so... I just used to have this vision in my mind of, (laughs) I would encourage myself with this, believe it or not, of me on the back of a speedboat and like the uh, skis coming out from under me and holding on. And I used to tell myself, just hold on a little bit longer. Every day you're farther away from who you were before. So I was trying to prove myself worthy because I felt so dirty and broken and I didn't really have a context to understand a God who gave me his last name. He adopted me, and, and I wasn't going to lose it. He wasn't going to tear up the adoption certificate. I'm not a psychologist, but if I look back, I think, you know, I had to be learning a lesson very early on. My first memory of dad being gone was like when I was three. You know, at that formative time in your life, and your dad's gone for that stretch, and then he's gone, you know, when you're five, and then, you know, whatever. It's got to communicate something when you have your one of your number two caretakers. You have um, Prince Charming who's leaving Cinderella. It just screws up the whole narrative for you. And so it doesn't surprise me that I was terrified God would let me go because I had seen my dad do it. Mm. And I don't want to run my dad on the ground. I mean, we could go on a tear about how amazing he was and the way he could experience the Lord, but... I had to learn later on in life to love him as he was and not how I wanted him to be. Hmm, that's good. That's uh, that's how God chooses to love us. Mm-hmm. Loves to love us as we are, not as who we could be, even though he knows what we could be. Mm-hmm. I don't want to run your dad into the ground either. So <laughs> um, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about some good things and we'll we'll get into that. But earlier, Josh, you said that you were afraid of marriage. But there was this couple, Sean and his wife, that mentored you, that really kind of took you in and are still um, 
involved, invested in your life. You said that what they had in marriage is something that you could have, then you weren't as afraid of it. Why were you afraid of marriage? Well, I mean, look at my parents. I mean, the way I think about it is, you know, I say the fifth time. I say my dad left five times. The last time was my mom told him to get out. Mm. He was like, you know, one night we could hear it going on. That was a crazy night was when dad and mom finally split up. And when they did, though, when I look back on it, the vision I have is like this, as I describe it in the book, is like a Disney cartoon from hell. You finally saw Cinderella take that glass slipper and just throw it after him and shatter the thing. And that was the end. So, Josh, what was it about this couple, Sean and Beth, that gave you hope for marriage? Sean and Beth, I mean, they prayed together. They had all these times where they would have people. I mean, they had hundreds of people over. They would have these, like, events that we would host from the church. Um, They were, they had, you know what? They loved me. They loved me. And then they... They liked each other a lot. One of my favorite memories of them, and I talk about it in the book because I, I couldn't write a book about marriage without including this. And it was Sean and I had like been working all day. We were sweating. It was so humid. We walked into his house. And I mean, I was just dying of thirst. I went and I got under the faucet and I started drinking out of it. I mean, drinking, drinking, drinking. <laughs> and I saw Beth walk up to him and just like, plant a kiss on him. I'm not talking like, a, I'm talking like definitely some, a lot going on with that kiss, which I mean, he was so nasty. Beth apparently like wanted Sean. So I'm like drinking water, drinking water. Cause I, I just want, I mean, I didn't want to like interrupt. Yeah. So I kept drinking and drinking and drinking and they kept going. And finally they pulled apart. I turned off the water, turned around. And they were like, acted like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of passion for each other, for the Lord, and not only that, I mean, I saw them like get like scrap with each other and getting, you know, mm-hmm. arguments with each other, not tons of them, but there was such a high level of respect from each other, a high level of deference that that also was appealing to me, in part because my parents' marriage fell apart because of a lack of respect and deference. Deference is another way of just saying humility. The willingness to say what you want is more important than what I want, and it's not that big of a deal that I'm giving you what you want. It's just I'm going to defer to you because I am, not because it's like, all right, Jesus, if this is my burden, nope, I'm just deferring to you. Go ahead, have what you will. And it was amazing how many, I just remember thinking so much of the conflict that could happen in this marriage is diffused just by the deference they naturally were showing each other. And it it ended up in this cycle of mutual submission. Mutual submission. That's an interesting concept there. I know submission is a word that uh, people often have a difficult time with, especially in our our culture. I want to touch on that in a little bit, but your book, Confessions of a Happily Married Man, is more than just about your marriage. It's about you getting ready to find your wife, get married, and then marriage doesn't culminate at the wedding day. That's just the start of it. So tell me about some of these confessions that you have. Where do, where do you want to start? <laughs> start at the beginning. Well, I'll tell you, like one of the confessions is, you know, like you said, this is not, this isn't even a story. You know, marriage is like the motif, but my walk with the Lord and the ways that there are parallels that anybody can relate to 
Uh, that's what you see in the book. So this is not, I mean, if you're not married, you can get something out of this. And particularly because so much of what I thought about marriage came from my perception of myself as a single person. And so one of the things that was hard for me um, after I got married, and I do write about some of the lead up to that, was getting married and recognizing my issues. And those issues were, you know, just had a lot to do with the fact that I was unable to see myself as I truly was. I just didn't have the capacity. And the thing that really helped, and this is where I think one of the biggest confessions had to come from, was that um, a friend of mine, I was at this Bible study thing, and he said, hey, I've got this idea. It's from Henry Cloud's book, Integrity. Um, Anybody want to do an integrity interview? I'm like, what's that? And he's like, there are these 10 questions, and you ask people who know you, and then you know, see what their responses are. Don't defend yourself. Just write down the answers. So I was like, I looked at one of the questions and it says, what do you find distasteful about my life? And I said to one of the guys in the group, I was like, you know, you're too nice and you wouldn't be able to come up with an answer for this one. He said, oh no, I could. I was like, oh, interesting. And what would that be? And uh, he said, you really want me to say this in front of Aaron? I said, yeah. And uh, he said, I find it really embarrassing the way you talk to Raquel in public sometimes. And I was just like, okay. So I was like, you know what? What's it going to hurt? I'm doing these interviews. And when I did the interview uh, with Raquel, I started off with her. And I remember as she was talking, I was like, she was saying the thing that she always said, you know, I'd heard it and I'm trying to listen. And then I interview four other people and 80% of what they said was the same thing. And that to me was a very, it was a hard, it was humbling. And it was, I came to a point where it was, you either confess that you have these issues or you're going to live with spinach jammed up in your teeth and being unwilling to look in a mirror. <laughs> yeah. And we don't want that. Uh, I know as a, I'm a TV producer. And so I, it's kind of like one of my jobs is to help other people before they get on to my show. If they've got something in their teeth, I want to help them get that out. It's embarrassing to bring that up to somebody. You know, it's it's uncomfortable as that person, but they always appreciate it. And even though sometimes it is embarrassing to be that person with the spinach in your teeth, I'd much rather have somebody tell me about it before I get on camera or before it becomes a bigger issue in my life. So that's great that you had people like that with you. I mean, that's, that's something that challenges me. Well, and I will say I've been very resistant to Raquel giving feedback. And I think the biggest confession of this book, first of all, I just want to rewind and say that when I talk about confession, I'm not just talking about confession of sin, though that's definitely part of the thing. But for me, it's a confession of what God has done. And, you know, I think that confession is something that you can do as you think about what God's done in your life. But I had to confront myself. And as I confronted myself, And confronted him in the face of Jesus and this person that God had brought into my life. God may have brought roommates into your life. He may have brought parents into your life. He may have brought your pastor in life, co-workers, whatever. God will bring people to make you face yourself. I just had a unique challenge being in marriage with this woman who introduced me to Jesus in ways, some ways I wanted and some ways I never wanted. (laughs) Interesting. What are some of those ways that you never wanted to be introduced to Jesus? I did not want Jesus to show me 
what I was really like. I wanted him. I'd gone from legalism to Jesus accepts me, and I just want to stop there. Jesus loves me as I am. The end. Um, But Jesus loved me as I am. And I think Max Lucado says, but he loves me too much to let him let me stay there. Mm. And, you know, so I didn't want that kind of love. I just wanted the like, we're going to stop at agape wasn't that great and and move on. And so that that would be one of the ways and, and really just Raquel correcting me. I just was a really polite chauvinist. I think mm. there was a part of me that just felt like. I'm not going to have some woman, no joke, some woman who is three years younger than me telling me what to do. Look, I would have never told you that was true. I'm all respectful. I've been a civil rights attorney. I'm all sensitive to to everybody out there. But I think deep in my heart, I was I felt like I deserved to be the man. So what were some practical steps that you took to change? I mean, some of it was practical, like seriously, just doing the dishes without like being so angry about it. I mean, I would, I would like really do that with some anger. I didn't, I like my mom did the dishes. My mom did housework. I like just took a rag and barely like wiped the table. That was my job. So Raquel had this idea that we were going to share domestic work. I started sharing it. Um, things that I would do is, you know, she talked to me about how I had no filter I would just say whatever I wanted. I'd embarrass other people. I'd embarrass myself. You know, it's kind of like a secret service agent. You got those little things in your ear and it's like, Joshua, nobody cares about what you're saying right now. Stop talking. And actually listening <laughs> to that uh, in, in my ear. And then really, I don't know what this is going to sound like, but it's just true. The biggest change was that I stopped and I considered that Raquel might be right a lot of the time. And I'm 12 years in, in marriage now. And I can tell you, if Raquel says something is firmly true, she, like she says, Joshua, something is not right with you right now. You are not right with God right now. I don't know what it is. I don't get as defensive. I'm like, she must be right about it. And I think that God is it, really all of us. And that's where this book isn't just about marriage. I hope that it speaks to you and everyone. God doesn't spare you from this because you didn't get married. He has people around who are speaking into your life and particularly the ones who love you and they're getting on your nerves because they're saying, saying things you don't want to hear. Those are the people you probably need to listen to. And that was the biggest thing was for me to hear People say that 80% of what she'd said was true made me stop and say, well, then maybe she sees what I don't. And all of a sudden, that idea made me realize, actually, Jesus is speaking through her. So you better listen to that woman. That's good. I do want to ask about how you guys met and how God brought this woman into your life. That's the part of the journey that I'm still trying to to get on that path, on that journey. Okay, well, I do want to say to you and to people who are single out there, listen, God, you can trust God to write your story. You really can. I also want to encourage you, even if you're at a broken place, when I met Raquel, I was making exceptionally bad choices when it came to like how I was going to walk with Jesus with my sexuality. Can we just leave it at that? Um, so I just you think about your own stuff. I, I I was just going for the slam dunk of stupid when it came to that. In the meantime, Raquel, she was like tiptoeing through the tulips with Jesus. She said, like she really believed. She said I was falling in love and I didn't have anybody to fall in love with. And she told her small group two weeks before she met me, I'm about to meet my husband. So you've got me. I'm in like in this dark place in my life, and she's just like, oh, a man's coming. 
And what happened was I went to this hat party. I, I, and, and you know what? Like two days before I met her, I remember thinking to myself, it'll be two years before I'm worth marrying. It was just this weird timeline. I'll be two, it'll be two years before I'm worth marrying. So I go to this hat party right in the midst of all this. And you're supposed to wear some hat. You couldn't wear a baseball cap. And I'm like dancing around with friends and the door opens and I look over and this woman with a red velvet cowboy hat with a white fuzzy trim walks in. And I thought, whoever the biggest stud is in this room is her boyfriend. And uh-huh. instead she went and was kind of dancing by herself in the corner. So, you know, I was just like, uh, you know what? I need to be friendly right now. And I, she really was. She, she was, she was alone. And I went over and I said, um, Hey, music's really loud. What's your name? She's like, I'm Raquel. I was like, where are you from? She's like, I'm Puerto Rican. I was like, that's crazy. And then I said in Spanish, do you speak Spanish? And she was like, yeah, you do. And this comes the best pickup line ever. I was like, want to practice Spanish on the back porch? That's pretty good, right? <laughs> so that is how we met. And we got engaged four months after that. Wow. I'm going to have to write down that line. Want to practice Spanish on the back porch? <laughs> um, maybe I could use that. I don't know. <laughs> or any other language, you, you know. Or any other language. Yeah. So you guys practiced Spanish on the back porch. We did. And how did that lead into an, a relationship? So... um I never went on a date with another woman. Um, I was really embarrassed. Um, I didn't call her for a week and a half. I was usually one to jump the gun, but I was feeling particularly shameful. Like I said, I didn't think I deserved to be married. I didn't feel like I deserved to go on dates. So we went on these dates, and I felt so comfortable with her. And I finally got to this point where when we were dating, it just started like picking up steam. I felt so embarrassed. I knew that she didn't know about this other part of me that just before she had met me, I was not the squeaky clean Christian guy that she probably thought I was. So finally we were at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington national cemetery. And we were sitting there and she was just kind of chatting. I was like, hold up, hold up. Um, I need to tell you some stuff. And she paused and I was like, and here I go. And I just, I'm talking about from age three on talked about my issues. And when I got in high school and then I was just like crescendo to, and by the way, there's this whole other screwed up part of my life. She was like, mm-hmm. uh, quick question. When did that last kind of like episode of things happen? I was like, uh, two weeks before I met you, she paused and I was like, look, I understand if you want to step away. I totally get that. I mean, if I were your dad, I'd tell you to walk away. And she paused and she put her hand on my back. Um, and she said, Joshua, I'm not going anywhere. I really respect you and think you're a godly man for just putting this out there instead of hiding it from me. And I just want to pray for you right now. And I just, all of the tension of six weeks and really my whole life, because it's not like, oh, what do you know? I'm 27 and I've got sexual like brokenness. I mean, this is something, you know, that usually goes on for years. And I just lost it because I'd given that part of myself to her and she respected it. And later on that night, she told me some stuff about her. And um, she said, what do you, how do you feel about me? And I was like, Raquel, if I hold this against you, then I don't really believe that the blood of Jesus covers everything. And so that was really the point where our relationship took off. And then things kind of got crazy at the uh, the engagement stage. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how you just said that. 
when you were talking to your future wife at the time, I love how you said this in the book that you looked at her in her eyes and said, don't worry, Raquel, there's nothing to judge. If the blood of Jesus doesn't cover all of our sins, then why did he die on the cross? You know, Jesus's sacrifice and his death on the cross does cover all of our sins and his grace is enough for all of us. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the blood of Jesus does cover all of that. And it's great whenever you can extend that forgiveness and that understanding to somebody else, especially in a situation like that, where you're with the the woman of your dreams, the, the love of your life, and you guys are about to take another big step. And you said that leading into the into the marriage, there were some other issues, and uh, you have a chapter called "Grace and the In Laws." Can we uh, can we talk about about that? We can, we can. I will say this: um, this was the hardest chapter to write. Um, I, you know, chapters take you know somewhere between four and five thousand words, and I ditched a solid seventeen thousand words rewriting this because. You know, first of all, I don't write about things for the writers out there. I don't write about things that aren't resolved because I don't consider readers. I don't want them to be, you know, have some cathartic experience experience where I'm just, you know, barfing it out, which is, if you look in the book, this is just not, isn't just our story. It's okay, and here's something we all can learn from it. Mm -hmm. But in this case, there are a number of unresolved issues that... I couldn't get into. And not only that, there are issues that are somewhat resolved, but the people are alive. So mm. I I decided instead to focus on my dad. He's not here. He told me that mm. I could just write what I wanted about him at some point. Um, and so I did. And I focused instead on his relationship to Raquel and the way mm. that she was gracious to him in spite of the fact that he may have been a little bit of an odd fit as her father-in-law. Yeah. So how did you learn to extend grace? Uh, you talked about her extending grace and understanding. As you're walking with your wife, where you've got to deal with her parents and she's got to deal with yours, with your side of the family, just what are some practical things that you've done to extend grace? Or how do you? what advice would you give to extend grace? Okay. First of all, I do think when it comes to grace, extending grace, I think that's part of the picture. You know, there's the practical stuff of my father-in-law, for whatever reason, not mine, but he always, you know, goes and does yard work every time we come over. Okay, fine. You know, go go do weeding. So I think there are practical ways that you can connect with your in-laws. But I think also one of the things you got to recognize, and I think is hard for a lot of people, is just putting up boundaries. Like, I'm not going to stay enmeshed with you. I am not going to, um, like, always be involved in your problems. You will not always be involved in our marriage. We will withdraw from you if, if necessary. Um, and so I, th- I think with, with in-laws, there's a lot of room for some beautiful things to happen. But in general, I've found that what it has required from me, I tend to like over-engage with people sometimes. So I think just looking for the good and being willing to create boundaries between the bad that I cannot prevent. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. I was actually just watching Jenna Fisher and Rain Wilson. They were doing some sort of a Skype type interview where they were, uh, they put it up online as well, but they were talking about 
uh, Jenna was dealing with anxiety. And if you're not familiar, it's Pam and Dwight from The Office. Mm-hmm. And he sent her this thing where she, w- she was struggling with anxiety. And in the circle are these things that you can control and that you are uh, responsible for. And outside of that circle was things that you can't control and those things. And just to be able to kind of look at, at that perspective and say, these are things that I can control and I can deal with. And these are things that I can't, it was really insightful to see that. And so you just kind of brought up something very similar that there's things that we can control in our lives and there's things that we can't. Yeah. And I mean, there are unique challenges to marriage and in-laws, but regardless of whether you're married, the fact is you are going to end up in situations with other people, maybe even your own parents when you're single, where you've got to decide where do I stop and you begin. And in our case, Hmm. my wife's parents got divorced. And Mm -hmm. I mean, they split up like a month before my daughter was born. All of a sudden, they're coming to the hospital separately. And what I did, you know, I've had my parents' marriage break up. I'm like, I'm going to save their marriage. So I'm like trying to play this go-between. Raquel's like trying to play her part. And so, I mean, I think that all of us, whether it involves in-laws or not, have to know when to say stop. This is not my Mm -hmm. life. This is your life. And there is a place where my life and your life will not overlap. So I, I, you know, I do write about unique marriage challenges, but it it can be true for someone who's married or otherwise. Yeah. So what made you actually want to write about marriage, actually put all this stuff down? I know you you do a lot of writing, but what made you want to actually say, I want to put this into a book? I mean, I've been doing freelance writing for many years and the stuff that it was easiest for me to write about that I was most interested in writing about that would tend to go viral or that would really resonate with people was when I wrote about marriage. And um, it's really has a lot to do with how the book came about as I'd written a couple of viral pieces about marriage. I ended up getting on Fox and friends three times. And for somebody who doesn't have a published book and you get on a morning show, a national morning show, okay, things are going well. So anyway, I think one thing I can say in terms of calling is I'll tell you the story and it's about how the book happened. Yeah, please. So it was 2018. Uh, My dad had died a month before. I was depressed. I was going through this painful treatment for epilepsy, Um, but I just was broken and I was having uh, eaten Valentine's dinner with some friends and one of the people at the dinner said, hey, have you ever thought about taking your articles and making a book out of them? I was like, oh, gosh, no. I was like, I don't even have time for that. And, you know, I'm, I'll have to do that later on in life. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I've got all these ideas. And we kicked him around. And three days later, I had a piece come out for Fox about forgiveness and marriage. And this guy from Africa sends me a message and says, thank you for your articles. They've helped my marriage. Have you ever thought about taking your articles and making a book out of them? I'm like, okay, God, that might might be you. (laughs) So um, I saw an error in in the article. And so I called this editor I'd never met before at Fox. I was like, hey, man, um, there's just this little error. If you could tweak it. And he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, by the way, um, your articles are great. Have you ever thought about taking your articles and making a book out of them? I was like, okay, okay, God. All right. I was like three times. Yes, I'll do it. Uh So I wrote an email to a friend. I was like, I believe God wants me to write a book, but I would need an agent because anybody can publish these days. I need an agent. 30 minutes later, I got a Twitter message from an extremely reputable agent in the Christian book industry. Robert Wogelmuth, and he said, Hi, I noticed what you wrote on Fox News. I was wondering if you'd be interested in my agency representing you to write your first book. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. 
that really that's what sparked it all was my interest in the topic and then god just basically being like here here it is now and it was one of the most difficult painful things i have ever ever done in my life if i had not known that god called me to that like that i would have mm. absolutely hated myself. So why is that? What were some of the difficulties in that process? First of all, I have a wife and three children. I'm not in DC anymore, but I was like your, your classic burnout DC lawyer. Mm. I was working crazy hours, writing a book is hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. marshalling all your thoughts, writing, rewriting, and also writing about, I always thought it would be, I thought it would be easy because I'm writing about, you know, personal topics and then just drawing conclusions from them. I mean, it's what I do. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be easy, but the problem was our marriage was a moving target. There were things that were changing as I wrote it. It was having an impact on my marriage. And so I'm trying so hard to write this while having a full-time job and being the best dad and husband I could be. And it was just too much. And it was 18 months. And, and my problem is also as a writer, I am an extreme perfectionist. I mean, I've written some B stuff before, but I'm like, this book is not going to be B. And so I poured every bit of myself into it down to every punctuation mark to get it just right. And I mean, it just about killed me. When you say it just about killed you, uh, please tell me that you're uh, being a little bit facetious with that. I mean, I think I've got pretty close to a nervous breakdown at one point. If I'd had an easier job as an attorney, that would have helped a, a lot. But my job as an attorney was just so, so, so hard. I mean, I was trying to work about 75 hours a week in 55 and it just was too much. And I was really trying to be the best dad in the world. I was going through Mm -hmm. some, you know, issues with epilepsy and treatment with that. I just, it was too much to do that in a book. I'm just like, God, I'm I'm like, seriously, God, if you called me to do this now, I just got to trust that you meant for something good to happen here because this is my worst nightmare right now. But the crazy part is, I will tell you this, that book is exactly what I wanted. And I've, I fought to the end. I, I, I could have let it be something else, but I'm like, no, nah, this is my chance. If I'm going to write one book, it's going to be the book that I want to write. So anyway, about killed myself. I mean, not literally, um, about had yeah. a nervous breakdown, but things got better. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad things got better. You know, I, whenever God calls us to do something and he confirms it, it's great to be able to rely on that, that fact, because there's times where, it's going to look insurmountable in front of us. Like I can't do this. And I think God wants us in that place where we have to rely on him. Uh, One of my favorite quotes recently is um, we fall the way that we lean. Mm. And um, my verse for this year has been um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Mm -hmm. So that leaning uh, you fall the way you lean. It's like, I want to lean on God. I want to be able to trust in him and to let him be the one that I fall into rather than my own strength, because my own strength, I'm going to fall and I'm going to get all bloodied and, and battered in the process. But if, as we rely on the Lord and we fall on him, he's going to lead and, and guide us and carry us along the way as we need to. And he, and, he uh, may call you to something that is painful. I mean, I just kept reminding myself, yeah. like, Moses, nightmare calling. Joseph, nightmare calling. Mary, mm-hmm. New Testament, nightmare calling. She ends up being traumatized, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, like, all these people, the best stories come from people who oftentimes walk through these nightmare callings. 
I just right. kept trying. The hard thing was that was my wife's calling too. Um, she actually ended up writing the last chapter of the book. Um, and so we were definitely in this together. And so we were both, both hurting together. Yeah. So what is your goal for this book? Where do you want to see it go? And what do you hope the readers get out of it? My prayer is that people will walk away from this and examine their own lives, examine their own marriages. Um, even if you're, you know, you're not married, examine your life and to look back and say, I'm talking about detailed examination of your life. I mean, I looked at those 10 years in like the, the hardest detail. God, what have you been up to? And do a couple things. Number one, confess, wow, God, you've been good. People are not aware of their lives. They're just not. That's true. They don't even, yeah. they, don't, they don't know what they've done. They don't know what God's done. They just keep living day to day. You can't confess what God's done in your life if you don't like actually look at your life. Second thing is to vulnerably confess to God, to the people around you, in my case, my spouse, um, and just be honest with yourself about your brokenness. That's one of the most powerful places God meets you. And so my hope is, in particular, that people who are married would stop and recognize, hey, guess what? This is not just about the bills, the kids, the like, how's our sex life? What about that vacation we're going to take? No, 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 no. And all those things, even the small things, God is up to something to pause Mm -hmm. with your spouse and say, let's just look at what God's been doing and then confess in a positive sense and even confess the hard things. Yeah. Taking an honest approach to those areas of our life where we need to confess those. That's good. As I said earlier, I'm not a married man. But I want to ask you a question about where do you see Jesus walking with you along your way? And as you look back at your life, where are some of those moments where your heart's burning, but you didn't realize it at the moment? It's not a hard question to answer. It's, um, it's a hard, there's just a lot in my heart right now. You know, my wife and I, we're, we're facing some tough challenges right now. And we all have that stuff. You know, we have the, you know, it's, where am I on a scale of zero to 10 with stress? And we all have these areas where you're feeling the nine, you're feeling the 10. Other people don't necessarily know. And um, for Raquel and me, um, we're having to decide right now, just like you are, you know, is God good? And sometimes you have these things that happen, these hurts in your life. And, you know, that, all things work together for good. It just doesn't make sense to you. So you're like, how in the world is this helpful? How is this good? And so um, right now and the challenges that we're facing, and I'd say the on zero to 10, we're about at 11 at this point, we, we've peaked. Um, I am choosing to see God as good. And uh, the other day I was actually in my car and I sang, uh, to God, God, you're so good. And I got really choked up because in that moment, I thought in these difficult times, that's the fertile soil for worship is when you in faith, just simply say that God is good. And the, the, when I look back on my life, the value uh, that I see in some of the hard circumstances is that he was preparing me for the harder circumstances that might come. And so I think throughout life, 
as you go through difficult stuff. If you will walk through with God and in faith believe that He's good, you'll develop some spiritual muscle that hopefully in the end, God can look and say, wow, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, you did tell me earlier that your marriage is okay. Yes. <laughs> That's not the issue. There's other things involved. I just want to make sure that it's communicated that your marriage is okay. You're just going to... Well, and, and let me be clear. My marriage is fine. Part of the reason why I sense God working in this is because I'm finding comfort actually in the way that He is working through my wife. Well, thank you for sharing that, Josh. I, I appreciate your, your openness um, about your about what's happening now. And I'm grateful that you're able to to sense that God is with you through this. Uh, the whole goal for this podcast is that we learn from the times in our past where our heart's been mm-hmm. burning within us, and we might have missed those moments. But it sounds to me that right now you're aware of the moment that you're in and that God is walking with you. So I applaud you for that, and that challenges me to be more aware of God moving in my life. You know, we're in the midst of this coronavirus situation where people are losing jobs, food is tight, and there's all kinds of different stresses in this world. And so if you're listening to this and you're feeling that stress and you're feeling that God's not walking with me at this moment and you feel all alone, I want you to know that God is with you. God does have a plan for you. And even though it seems that he might be far away, he's not. He's right there with you, and he just wants you to stop, take a deep breath, and lean on him. And he's going to be the one that that holds us up and helps us through this time. The Bible doesn't talk about God taking away all of our pains and struggles, but it does promise that he will be there with us during that time. And so I want to encourage you, listener, that you know God is with you. And just as God is with Josh, believe and know that God is with you through this process. And I hope that you sense your heart is burning during this time as well. Josh, another question that I want to ask you, and it's another fun one that I like to ask all the time, is if you could go back into your past and visit younger Josh, 10, 15, 20 years, 25, 30 years, whatever it might be, whatever season of life you're in, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what advice would you give yourself and what's happening in your life that you would need that advice? I would go back to age six. I would go back to that time that I heard one of the fights to end all fights between my parents and my brother and I were sitting on the, in the bedroom and we were just crying and confused. And I would just um, go to the principal's office, uh, drive there, and um, ask them that they call Joshua Rogers. And then I'd go, I'd take him out, get ice cream, whatever. I would just say, you know, get on up here and put him in my lap. And I'd say, listen, I talked through some of the stuff he's going through. And I'd say, you're going to be all right. Okay. I know that things are difficult and they're going to be difficult, but God is here. He's real. You know that Jesus that you love so much, the one that in your mind you're talking to, you're praying to him, you believe he's really there. Hey, he is. He actually is. Just hold on. And wherever you go for the rest of your life, remember that this older version of you came back and said, you're going to make it. You'll be all right. There's going to be some hurt. You'll have some scars, but they won't be open wounds. That's If I can go back, I want to talk to my six-year-old self. That's good. Do you think your six-year-old self would listen to your older self? Oh, he would love him. He would really love him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, I really loved 
affirming father figures for obvious reasons. So when one would take me under, uh, you know, under his wing, oh, I would have loved me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you had some of that with uh, your friend Sean mm-hmm. and Beth. And I'm grateful for the, for the people in my life that have kind of taken me under their wing in various different ways. And they are really a blessing from God. My pastor likes to say, whenever God wants to protect you, he'll remove somebody from your life. And when God wants to bless you, he'll bring somebody into your life. Mm. And it sounds like you are a blessed man, my friend. Oh, I am. I really am. I, I, I've i said this about Raquel before. I've said if I ever question whether God loves me, all I have to do is look at her. One thing I've never said before, it's true. I mean, if I ever wondered if God loved me, I could look at her and Sean and Steve and Caleb and Aaron and Pat. I mean, I could just keep going and going. And I feel like the richest man in the world because of the love God has given me through other people. I'm very stubborn. I'm very hard-headed. I, I have difficulty just absorbing God's love. I'm resistant to it in a lot of ways. I have issues. <laughs> but I just, I, I, I have to let go of that, that idea that somehow it's it's me, what I have to offer that makes me valuable. God just sends, keeps sending people along that in all my brokenness, and I got plenty. Um, Say, so you know what? We like that guy. That's good. That's good. Josh, do you have a life verse? So if I had to say what my life verse is, it's Hebrews ten fourteen, And it is uh, for by one sacrifice, he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And I like that because it's in past and it's also in present progressive. He has forever made perfect. All right. You made perfect those who are being made holy. So it's also a process. And that gives me a lot of hope. I can remember, okay, I got the last name. I'm adopted. But mm-hmm. like I quoted Max Locato, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. So I've been made perfect, but I am still being made holy. Amen. That's a good verse. And I think that's the first time that that's been said on this show. And I, I appreciate that. That is a good one to, to hold on to, to know that God is not done with us. And he is active in the process of us growing and becoming more and more like him. Mm-hmm. Josh, I want to thank you for being on along the way. I'm going to give you an opportunity to let people know how they can get a hold of you, how they can find your book, and uh, anything else that you have. Um, yeah, you can find me at my website, joshuarogers.com, and that is R-O-G-E-R-S. Um, you'll have links to everything you want to find about me and um, also any article that I've ever written. So that's where I would look for me. And then I'd also go check out at your favorite bookstore or online, Confessions of a Happily Married Man, Finding God in the Messiness of Marriage, and then do a uh, review at your favorite book website. I'll make sure that I put your link in the show notes for this podcast episode. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to just click a link, it's right in the show notes. Josh, I just appreciate the time that we've been able to spend together and to to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you for allowing me to join you along your way. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joshua Rogers and his confessions of a happily married man. He and his wife Raquel were guests on Focus on the Family recently, so I will be including a YouTube link in the show notes so you can watch that as well. I'll be providing all of his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed listening to me along my way, please share this episode with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and through my website, alongtheway.media. 
I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.